Mentorship for me has provided a range of tools and some of it's practical and logistical and some of it's more big picture strategy. How do I use my strengths and leverage my talents? Mentorship has been a huge part of helping me to become an independent research scientist and just to be a good person in life. I do think that mentorship is bound up with power relationships and as a good mentor you're not creating an army of followers but you're really instead lifting up and creating the next generation of leaders so it's very much about cultivating independence and career development and professional development Welcome to your digital mentor. This is actually our third and very exciting episode. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Boynet from the Welcome Sanger Institute, but like everybody recording from home. Today we'll be discussing mentoring and hierarchy and how can we break this type of thinking when we are talking about mentorship. And joining me are two very special guests. First is Professor Monica Gandhi, who is a professor of medicine and associate chief in the Division of HIV, Infectious Diseases and Global Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And our second guest is Dr. Vidya Mave, who is a director at the Johns Hopkins University India Clinical Research Program located in India. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and agreeing to come on the podcast. Uh, and I'll start with Vidya. Would you tell us a bit more about you and what you do? So I am uh, an infectious disease uh, clinician researcher trained both in India and as well as US and back in India for about uh, last 10 years and I uh, oversee research activity in two US uh, research activities based in Pune. Most of our research are funded by National Institute of health and indian government so that's that's what i do my name is monica gandhi i'm a professor of medicine at the university of california san francisco and i am also the director of the center for aids research here i'm an infectious disease doctor as well like vidya and i have an interest a long term interest in mentoring i grew up as a mentee and then became very interested in the process of mentoring and the science of mentoring and have conducted mentoring workshops in different countries and areas including india and we were in South Africa and also East Africa in different places doing mentoring meetings so familiar with the questions that we'll talk about today which are mentoring in the context of of hierarchy and the context of hierarchical cultures so i'm glad both of you could actually come on the podcast to discuss this very important topic today but it's actually by design in that uh, i had asked monica to join the podcast and invite one of the participants of the the workshop so i was wondering if you can monica tell us a bit more about this relationship you have with vidya and kind of same with you vidya i mean vidya i think i met through amita maybe but we've had actually a distant mentoring relationship because vidya's got interested in some of the work that we were doing using hair levels of anti-infectives and in this case anti-tuberculous drugs and she'll tell you more about her grant that she wrote another grant she wrote and papers that she's writing and we 
we've been definitely working on a distant mentoring relationship. The workshops we started conducting actually in 2012. These were mentoring workshops that we became interested in because just like parenting, you can actually be a better mentor if you get trained in mentoring. So the idea of the workshop is that there are tools and techniques that you can use to become better mentors as opposed to kind of ad hoc mentoring or learning from your mentor, which may or may not be a good thing. And so we started in the United States, in San Francisco, yearly mentoring workshops called Mentoring the Mentors. They were training mentors on how to be better mentors. And then in 2013, we started doing these globally through the Fogarty International Training Center. We did one in Peru, one in Mombasa, Kenya in 2013. In 2014, we did one in Bangalore, India. And then we did one in South Africa in 2016. And then we did one in Ghana last year. So these are mentoring the mentor workshops to train people, even in hierarchical settings, to become better mentors and how to structure your mentoring relationships. I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Ashley. That's really kind of leading us right into a nice segue into the meat and crux of the discussion today. You've mentioned uh, the Fogarty workshop and one of the articles, actually, you were the lead author and you said one of the main barriers into developing a sustainable mentor-mentee relationship is actually this exact hierarchical kind of paternalistic approach to mentoring. I was wondering if you can both kind of talk about that and first of all, the experience of the workshop, but also how you've kind of viewed it in life and how you see it affect mentoring. Vidya, maybe you can start with (laughs) being in a more hierarchical culture. Yeah, so I have been fortunate to be mentored by mentors in India as well as in the U.S. And so in India, because of our culture, I think there is a huge hierarchy between and, you know, mentors are put in a pedestal and then mentees have huge respect for their mentors and so are not really all that empowered. But all of that is changing in India as well with all of these new information coming out, how mentoring should happen and how mentees should be empowered to get, you know, get feedback as well as uh, uh, to ask questions and help with their career. Uh, that way. I think we have a long way to go in India in the sense that I know that uh, Monica has been doing some workshops in India too. So those kind of workshops would help them bridge that gap between mentors and mentees and meet mentors and mentees and meet halfway. And then also get guidance on what kind of mentors are could be many kind of mentors, which I learned from Monica herself. There would be process mentors, there could be content mentor and so on. So all of these informations are not out here. And most of the mentors in India are learning Uh, on the job, how to mentor. So hierarchy has been an issue, will be an issue perhaps, but I think with the right information and right training, these issues can be overcome. That's really interesting, Ashley. Thank you so much for that. And you mentioned this kind of types of mentoring. So Monica, I wondered if you can then kind of add to that and kind of explain more of what these types of mentorship you mean. What happened was when we would give these mentoring workshops anywhere, The philosophy of a mentoring relationship is that it has to be a mentee-driven relationship because it is actually the mentee's career. And without that ownership over your own career and you driving the relationship, driving the meetings, giving papers and telling people that they have until this date um, to get back to you, um, it really needs to be a mentee-driven process. So when we first presented this idea in 2013 in Mombasa, 
and then again in Bengaluru, both times there was a pushback. There was like, well, we have a hierarchical culture here. So, you know, we don't want our mentees necessarily to be the one that sets the agenda for the meeting, that sets the time for the meeting and follows up with an email that gives the plan afterwards, uh, after each mentoring meeting. And then we pushed back on the pushback, meaning that there are, I think, principles of mentoring and effective mentoring relationships that surpass culture and that surpass the dominant paradigm in different settings. And it is actually better for the mentor and the mentee if the mentee is allowed to set the schedule and the tone for the mentoring relationship. And it's not disrespectful. And in fact, that's what's very important. I think we talk a lot in our mentoring workshops about gratitude and about the mentee, you know, really thanking the mentor for their time. They're very busy, but that they should have a structured relationship where the mentee is driving the structure. And we very specifically mean by that that we encourage mentors and mentees to meet once weekly if possible. We actually encourage that the mentee sends two days ahead of time the agenda for the meeting and with each agenda item, the items that need to be done. So here I'm sending you a method section for the paper. Thank you so much for agreeing to review this before we meet. And here's my next agenda item that I'm doing a little too much clinical duty. Would like to talk to you about the possibility of relieving me of a clinic so that I can focus on my research. So it's agenda driven. Then the mentee and the mentor meet. And then what we encourage after is for the mentee to set a follow-up plan to the meeting with everything that the mentor agreed to do and everything the mentee agreed to do. Thank you very much for meeting. Agenda item one, you said that you would introduce me to that collaborator in Delhi. Thank you very much for that. I await the email introduction. Second, you know, I will send you the results section of this paper by X time. And so it becomes a running document and a running list, both the agenda and action plan for this ongoing relationship between mentor and mentee that is not only driven by the mentee, but serves as a record of progress. Oh, I really like that. And I think the outline of the structure is so important. Do you think that by setting this structure, it kind of helps break through the hierarchy sort of conundrum? And maybe this is a question also for Vidya. Like, how do you think the structuring and very specific type of structuring and gratitude in, in a mentor-mentee relationship will sort of open the conversation up to become more of a peer-to-peer discussion? Yeah, I think uh, what uh, Manika mentioned actually would set the tone for how this relationship would be. So if the mentee takes uh, the lead for his career, setting up these kind of agendas. So that kind of relationship then, uh, you know, trust builds basically between the mentor and mentee. And then the mentor can then give a proper guidance on how to take it forward. I think there's a difference between you know, the perception that it's disrespectful to have the mentee drive the meeting because it's not and drive the progress. And it can still be done within the context of a kind of hierarchical structure. The idea that a mentee needs to be dependent on the mentor, contacting them and kind of doing it on their schedule will ensure that the mentee is left behind because mentors are very busy and there's a, you know, great focus on many things. And I think that this allows this idea that you can still maintain respect and maintain a cultural, you know, expectation. But at the end of the day, it is the mentee's career and no one else that you can still, still by using structure, overcome barriers of hierarchy. It's literally just proposing a clear structure. It sets up expectations. It makes the expectations clear and it serves as a living 
and constant document of progress. So I just want to add in for clinical research, yes, so setting up this agenda may work in India, but maybe for other kind, once you, one example you gave, Monica, is about uh, saying that I have clinic and uh, clinic duties. My clinic duties are too much, so relieve me. And so that may not be possible, but yes, so I, I am not really sure whether that's possible in India because the burden of, uh, you know, population who require care is too much. So, and there are less healthcare workers in India. So I don't know whether that's possible, but obviously setting up a structure for research in the sense that uh, if you're writing a paper, then, you know, having the meta section sent to the mentor and structuring the meetings, that, that I think kind of helps with the hierarchical structure in India. And Vidya, I think you brought up a really important point. I think one of the things you guys mentioned was the lack of time. How do you then encourage the mentors to kind of put in time? Is it is the onus falling on the mentee to kind of request time? Or how do you then work that into a relationship and give recognition to mentoring so that it has sort of gravitas from the mentor's point of view that this is something that would really benefit the mentee? How do you kind of work that into the training of some sort? So the question is how it benefits the mentee to drive the process of, of mentoring? Yeah, and overcome the lack of time. I mean, the idea actually of training people in mentoring is that mentoring in general is an ad hoc process that people just sort of mentor as they've been mentored. Don't call me, I'll call you. Um, it's very random and not within a structure, unlike didactics or teaching in a classroom or supervising in a laboratory. Mentoring is, you know, kind of more of a vague thing that, you know, just follow me and I'll kind of guide you by example. That does not work work for many people without structure. So the entire concept of the mentoring the mentor workshops and proposing a structural and scaffold to the relationship is that you almost become accountable to each other by creating the structure. It is that the mentor is accountable to the mentee because when the mentee sends the agenda and the action plan, thank you for introducing me to this collaborator by next Monday so that we can plan a time to meet when we are at CROI, this HIV meeting. You said that you would do that by Monday, so I await your email. Uh, second is, you know, at our meeting, we discussed that you will return comments on the paper by Thursday or the paper or the abstract by Thursday the 14th so that we have plenty of time to turn it around for the abstract submission, which is due this time. It is a structure. It becomes a way that the relationship moves forward, but not just the relationship, but the work moves forward. And it's imperative that the mentee drives that because it is the mentee's career. So um, no one actually cares more about their career than the person themselves. It is a way to keep the mentor accountable, really, and not become too overwhelmed, not become too busy, but create a time just like you would carve out a time for your lecture on biochemistry. You will carve out a time for your mentee because it is every Wednesday at 10 a.m. I totally agree. Time is money in, in India, both for mentors as well as mentees. In India, I think the maybe you are aware that in the postgraduate system, that's our residency uh, equivalent uh, of U.S. So mentees, actually the first year or junior residents or senior residents have to uh, care for lots of patients and also then ensure that they have a thesis done, which is basically a research project done before the end of their three years of residency and for them to graduate. So for them, they have to compete with their clinical care to make time for their research project and also ensure that their mentors are available to help them 
with their research project. So sometimes, uh, mostly uh, until maybe recently, all they had to do was to complete that thesis and for, you know submit that for their graduation. But now I think this has been changing with all of the exposure we are getting, India is getting in terms of research. So mentees are now required or residents are now required to even write papers and so on. So for them to accomplish that, they have to be cognizant of the time required for themselves to make progress in their research article or thesis or research project and also ensure that mentors are available. So I think it would be not possible in India to complete any of the research project or thesis without mentees taking ownership of their project and setting agenda and communicating that with their mentors so that it's, it's done in the in a specified time period. As opposed to US where I think uh, the careers of the junior residents or fellows where there is a protected time to do research. I think mentors then are competing for the time of the mentees, actually. That may not be the case in India, but yes. So setting up agenda and leading the setting up the agenda is very important uh, from mentee standpoint. I really like that. So giving them kind of learning a skill that is time management, which as you go in, you know, forward in your career, is something that you'll need absolutely to manage yourself. Assume then when they themselves become mentors, it'll become almost imperative that they have to be able to, as you say, Monica, kind of carve out some time to have time for the mentee. And one of the other things that came up from the articles I was reading, you guys said, was how do we get, let's say, institutions involved in recognizing mentoring as actually a skill? How do you get recognition for it? Because I think maybe sometimes that can be an incentive for you to become a good mentor and give time and carve out that time. I was wondering if I can throw that to maybe Vidya, where maybe a structure in, in kind of the global south hasn't quite been set up for institutions to give recognition. And then I'll, I'll kind of come back to Monica with that. I kind of agree. So I don't think there is any mechanism where mentors get recognition. Although I recently heard in the institution where we are partnering with that they do give teachers awards, the best teacher award, uh, for example. That may be an incentive that will motivate the mentors to learn these skills. I'm not really sure. There Maybe there are equivalent of that in the U.S. as well, where I did my residency and fellowship. But if there are papers, for example, in some kind of manuscripts, then, you know, I think mentors then get an authorship recognition as a, either a senior author. So that's important for their careers, too. Sometimes if there are mid-level mentors, like associate professors and so on. So, yes. So in India also, I think that kind of structuring is happening in a small way, I guess, that there are some first and last author papers or first or corresponding author papers does help them, you know, get promoted, the mentors to get promoted. So it's important to have recognition, but it should be in a much bigger way than it is right now. Yeah, I think actually what's really important is that it is also beyond the relationship aspects we've been talking about. It does have to be a reciprocal relationship. So there are sort of two aspects. One is that the reciprocity aspect of this is that you have data as a mentor and the mentee writes it up and you are last author, like Vidya said, on that paper. I mean, that moves your work forward as well. Nothing can actually be, you know, completely altruistic. It is a relationship and it is a background 
and forth. On the other hand, what we ensure in our setting, and I have encouraged when we do the global workshops to talk to deans of schools to do this, is that we do not get promotion here in our committee of academic promotions unless you have demonstrated mentoring and competency in mentoring. So there have been people who have done great in terms of scholarship, but they're not mentoring, they're not teaching, and their promotions have been held back. So our CVs for promotion require in our academic setting a section on who are you mentoring, where did they start before you mentored them? Where are they now? When I put my publications down on my list in my CV, I put a star if the first author is a mentee. And then those are credited um, towards me in a different way because I've mentored. So it is, I think, UCSF, to be honest, where I am, has a has a real culture and a focus on mentoring, which is why also why I became interested in it. But I think that all universities, including in the global south, could absolutely think about a system by which mentoring is included in the promotions process. And then the final way to recognize a mentor beyond promotions and to have them as last author on a paper is payment. I mean, one idea is that, and we've talked to deans about universities there as well. If this is your, you're working mentoring in around the sides and you're having a clinic at home because you have to do that in the evenings to make your salary and you're working, you know, really hard on research during the day, mentoring is a burden if you can't get some designated support for it. So the idea of also supporting someone for for mentoring scholars. So I think those are the three ways that you can think of recognizing the mentor. Wow, payment. In Johns Hopkins also, I think mentoring gets very much credit. You get credit for mentoring in your CVs and you have to list them for promotion and so on. So yes, I think in the U.S. universities, it's kind of maybe becoming more and more common. Uh, and I think that needs to happen in, in India or Global South as well. Yeah, I think everywhere, I think even here, I've never, I mean, I'm obviously in still in also in the research field. And I think that's a really good idea in terms of still listing your mentor who's not necessarily your supervisor or your line manager who's on the paper, but mentoring and kind of having a star and saying that this was a mentor of you who's helped you in a kind of maybe in a more clinical kind of develop that critical thinking. Coming back to actually critical thinking is one of the points I wanted to discuss. How do you, and I assume both of you have being mentors and mentees, how do you then start having and building this, encouraging them to have critical thinking and to be able to have a very healthy discussion, uh, scientific discussion or otherwise discussion between you and a sort of a mentor? Do you guys have advice for people kind of wanting to go into that and be able to bounce these type of ideas with their mentor? Um, I'll kick off with, with Monica. Yes. I mean, I think that a role of a mentor is very holistic. A role of a mentor is to ensure that the um, mentee has the clinical research skills to complete the project. The role of the mentor is also to impart life skills like time management, like we were talking about before, and impart a way to, by example, and life work balance. You know, it's a very holistic relationship. So part of that holistic relationship is for the mentor to either train the mentee themselves on the critical research skills that they need to complete the project or to ensure that they're paying for their class or, you know, what they need to do to get the skill sets to move forward. And I think that that is part of mentoring. It's not just, you know, giving them data and letting them just go with it. Like you, you actually have to give them the skill sets to, to get there. I agree. So um, 
As a mentee, I think uh, one of my mentors kept asking is that you should first come up with your research question and how do you come up with research question is to review the literature and so on. So, And then in addition to that, uh, then you need to have skills to understand how the biostatistical, you know, in- interpretation of biostatistical methods and study design and then so on and so forth. So mentees sometimes don't have all of these, you know, skills with them. But if that is the case, then I think mentees may have to go looking for that by themselves in some cases or, or mentors then if they identify there are some gaps for the skill set gaps then maybe help them or guide them to get all of those methods so for me I think when I was a fellow at the time obviously research was new because I came from India and so at the time it was not very common several years back a couple of decades back so it was important for me to know that to write a paper you need to know all of these skills and the fellowship encouraged that and that's how uh, research was possible for me and the same kind of guidance from the mentors may be needed for all kinds of mentees you know uh, regardless of you know identifying what their uh, skill gaps are and then ensuring that they get uh, uh, appropriate uh, guidance for that uh, and I assume that would also be a conversation so you'd have to also as a mentee know where the gaps lie and be honest with that and I think that's also coming to one of my last points and wanting to discuss this is Monica you mentioned it's a very holistic thing I wanted to just kind of shift it slightly to you know what if you're seeking mentorship in a sort of a non-research way kind of more of on everyday things that work-life balance how do you then identify and create this type of relationship with a mentor but then also make maintain it they might be senior than you but maintain it to be a friendly way do you have any advice for people coming and thinking of that yes we have two types of mentors and two structural relationships that we create here so we have i'm the director of the center for aids research at ucsf and that's a big center that's funded by the nih to help people in their development essentially as aids researchers And one of our programs that we fund is the mentoring program. And in this mentoring program, we enroll every early career scientist who does HIV research into a designated program. And there are three things that we do with them. One is that we help them structure their relationship with their research mentors, like we've all been discussing. The second is that we set them up with a career mentor who is not their research mentor. This is someone who is completely outside their research field. I mean, they do HIV, but they're not directly in their line of supervision. And in this case, that career mentor is that sounding board for anything that they need in terms of more holistic life work balance. You know, actually, I don't want to go into academia. I want to go into industry. How do I tell my mentor that? These are the relationships where you have a a safe career mentor with which to discuss these life issues. So we set every mentee up with a career mentor, an independent career mentor. And then the third thing we do in these this mentoring program is every month we have a workshop on these life skills that are really not taught to us in medical school or graduate school, but are taught actually in the business and lawyer fields about how to manage a team or how to manage conflict or how to manage your time or how to hire a great person or how to negotiate in your job. And these are these so-called soft skills, they call them, but I don't think they're soft. I think they're very important. And these are skills that we need and we don't get training in, in our traditional medical school educations, for example. No, I absolutely agree that. That's really a great process and great structure, I think, developing soft skills. So yeah. Yeah, those skills are important. 
Yeah, I see all the agreement all around. And Vijay, do you want to add anything more to that? I mean, that was very well put. But Vidya, if you have... Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Monica covered it. Yeah, I think everyone's nodding and like, yeah, you've kind of covered it. You know, I just want to say, I think those are soft skills, as you say, is as important to be mentored in as research skills. So we'll stop saying soft skills, but call them, you know, essential skills, <laughs> essential life skills. And with that, I just wanted to break for, we just want to break from a message from our sponsors. So hang with us and we'll come back with take-home messages. This episode is supported by Advanced Courses and Scientific Conferences, a program which develops and delivers training and conferences that span basic research, cutting-edge biomedicine, and application of genomics in healthcare. Through engaging and networking, the events educate, inspire, and transform careers worldwide. This episode is also supported by the Wellcome Sanger Institute. It undertakes large-scale research that forms the foundations of knowledge in biology and medicine. It uses the power of genome sequencing to understand and harness the information in DNA. The Sanger's discoveries are used to improve health and to understand life on Earth. This episode is also supported by social entrepreneurship to spur health. The SASH group uses crowdsourcing to enhance health and health research with a focus on low- and middle-income countries. So thank you both so much for joining us. And we'd like you to share with our listeners uh, where they can find you. But before we do that, take-home messages. Can we start with Vidya? What are the take-home messages from how we create a healthy mentor and mentee relationship? So I believe that mentors should be accessible to mentees and help them with all essential skills needed for research or otherwise. And then mentees should meet them in mentors halfway. And uh, like Monica mentioned earlier, set up research agenda and lead the discussions with mentees and mentors and uh, take ownership of their careers and also their research projects, whatever the case may be. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Vidyan. And Monica, any take home messages from you? Yes, I think that mentoring mentor relationships have to be structured and have rigor and have a scaffold and not be just on the fly. So I think that people should be meeting regularly and the mentee should be driving those meetings and should be setting agenda ahead of time, having the discussion and setting an action plan afterwards. And I think that there should be gratitude from mentee to mentor because they're very busy, but the mentor who has agreed to take on a mentee owes that mentee their time and their skills and their imparting of those skills and their data and they owe them that. Otherwise, they shouldn't agree to be a mentor. And then finally, I hope that the mentor in the structure of the university is recognized for mentoring. And I hope that we can change university structures and ideas such that promotions and even funding is provided for mentoring for us really to move this forward as a important part of the academicians. Um, day. There you have it. That's amazing. Thank you, both Monica and Vidya. That's for our listeners. We'll either take notes, but for sure we'll be including all of these points uh, in a fact sheet and also all the relevant publications that we can share, we'll share with you. But for our listeners, would you mind both sharing where people can find you if they want to contact you? So we'll start with you, Monica. Where can our listeners find you? I do have a profile page. If you just say Monica Gandhi UCSF, there's a profile that comes up. I do have a Twitter account, though I just learned how to tweet like a week ago. And it's at Monica Gandhi, all one word, nine. Fantastic. And how about you, Vidya? 
So my full name is Vidya Maveg and uh, you can google me my profile page can be seen in uh, Johns Hopkins Center for Clinical Global Health Education that is a CCGHE I also have a Twitter account but I just created them so I think it's Maveg Vidya um, so uh, you perhaps can find me there and I also have a LinkedIn account as well I'm so grateful that you guys could come on board. You're clearly phenomenal scientists who've achieved quite a lot and I'm so glad to say you are two women in STEM. And you know for our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please follow us on Twitter at mentor_podcast and listen to us on YouTube, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts and you just need to search for your digital mentor. And please remember to tell people about us. See you in 2 weeks.